Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, November 6th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Not too bad, not too bad. After two consecutive weekends where I had midterms, projects, that sort of thing going on during the week and spent my weekend procrastinating on those, uh, I have none this coming week, so I could do nothing in peace and no guilt, which uh, always helps the sleep 25, 30% better. How are you doing? Doing well. Speaking of sleep, love the extra hour of sleep this morning for daylight savings. Make sure everyone out there, you adjust your your clocks and stoves and car uh, card clocks because it, it it gets you it gets you so um nice to what is it fall back get the extra hour and and yeah i really needed it going into today got to play frisbees for the first time in the while indoor and we're foraying into another vehicle max hey, uh, fingers crossed yes we're we're gonna give owning car ownership another try here so we'll see how that one goes my girlfriend's driving it back from ottawa tomorrow ideally this will go better the second time around (laughs) i didn't even know there was a debate about this until i saw something on twitter but which side of the daylight like like 90 percent of people agree daylight savings is bullshit let's just have one time of year and stick with it all year round now i assumed through just my own lens that everyone liked um the summer side of year better with later mornings and more daylight in the afternoons until I saw a Twitter thread exchange going on debating this. Um, It was like super brogan elitist language. Like it rewards people who wake up in the mornings and exercise and have high T behavior versus like low T people who get stuff like just lie around all day. Uh, But it kind of, intrigued me i really thought everyone just preferred the later days if you had to go with one way or the other which would you and you don't need to lump yourself into the uh ladder camp if yeah. you feel that well, way so the, that perspective that you bring up i mean those people who theoretically are lounging around they're going to do that regardless of one hour or not so that, <laughs> that's not i think the daylight savings time correct me if i'm wrong was established for farmers yes yeah, enabling them to have that ability. So it, you, you do got to, in that respect, like appreciate the people who do get up quite early and it is good, better for your circadian rhythm if you're waking up with the sunshine. Um, but that all being said, I tend to agree with the uh, more sun in the afternoon. It's just so depressing to yeah. wake, to, to like it be four o'clock and it's getting dark and then you live in so much darkness in the evening. I don't mind getting up when it's dark because it feels like the world is asleep. And I like having that little moment. I mean, ideally you don't want any of it, but if I had to choose one, I think I'm on the side of longer afternoons. Yeah. And the base in the clock around the farmers made a hell of a lot of sense when 90% of our labor force was, were farmers uh, and technology wasn't the thing that it was. Also, the way I see it, if you're waking up that early and you're getting your, you're on top of your circadian rhythm, you're getting your exercise, you're measuring your testosterone, whatever, you probably don't need the serotonin dopamine boost, whereas those us lazy people probably do need it more. So just for the utilitarianness of it. Also, 
what car clocks need to be adjusted are they not all like synced to some global digital wi-fi thing no i was i was in one today where you, you had to switch it okay so, yeah i i guess it, maybe it's models after 2015 you're good to go but yeah i was switching my stove i had to switch the microwave I had to switch or my friend had to switch their car so just want to shout it out there in case anyone's listening to us in a spot where they need to make that quick time change uh help help a friend out it's only my watch i need to do but i don't wear my watch every day so it's usually like halfway sometimes even a month later where <laughs> i put it on for the first time i'm like wait a second it's an hour later than it actually is huh well, right. one more hour of slept sleep meant i uh i was well rested and ready to take on week nine of the nfl slate talked about it on thursday we went in and it was a little bit of a weaker slate or projected to be in terms of entertaining games but i think this week held up surprisingly which is always nice some entertaining games went down to the wire especially in the early window a massive upset to headline it all as the new york jets defeat the Buffalo Bills, who some people had pegged to go 16-1. and one. They had really found their groove. They were vibing. Seemed like no one could stop Josh Allen, and it felt that way early on. 14-3 game to start for Buffalo, but the Jets hung in there, uh, stayed with uh, their, their rookie wide receiver, who's an absolute weapon in Garrett Wilson, and Michael Carter was getting free even without Brees Hall out for the season. The Jets able to move the ball enough and Zach Wilson still looked a little shaky, but then their defense really brought it home on the other side. Zach Wilson fumbling after a couple of momentum-gaining drives where they gone for it on fourth down, and they'd even done a fake punt and, and just brought all the tools out to try and beat this Buffalo team. He fumbled, Bills recover, and then that next drive, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that name yet, Max, but... Nope. He uh, didn't give up a touchdown in his high school and college career uh, through all eight years of co competition, and he is a lockdown rookie corner this Hold year. Up. Oh, like not once did the wide receiver he was covering yeah, get in it. coverage okay. Okay. was not beat. He in college, I believe, the average passer rating of the quarterbacks was eight, and just for out reference, like no, a, a, out for reference, a good score is ninety six. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it could go as high as 153, I think. QBR is weird, but eight, just so you know, is like historically bad. That's like to the one receiver or for the whole game? To people he's covering. Right, gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's lockdown weapon. And where was he, picked, he picked in the draft? Number 10 to the New York Jets. Yeah. Wow. There are just some positions that have more value in the NFL. We touched um, on this last episode. Yeah. Yeah, so corners and wide receivers tend to fall a little bit more towards the middle of the first round. He was picked and has been an absolute steal for them at 10. That's an argument that can be made in the NFL. Is like Usually you're taking a swing on a quarterback or you're, you're taking a lineman or a defensive tackle, but sometimes these corners who are the first ones off the board, the corners and wide receivers, are guaranteed to be great players, but... They just aren't as a valuable position. So you try and get the bigger swing on the other guys, but he's been unbelievable. He picks off Allen uh, and then has great coverage late in the game on Gabriel Davis to seal it. And the New York Jets squeak out a win. And now they're only half a game back of the Bills with the same number of wins going into their bye week. And 
a fantastic, stunning win for New York. Miami also winning. And this AFC East, uh, Patriots winning as well today. Every single team in the AFC East with a winning record right now. And uh, it's going to be a bloodbath down the stretch to see who can pull out there. And we could have maybe four playoff teams from that division, which would be, which would be crazy. Moving along, speaking of Miami, they are just so electric, their offense. Tyreek Hill never ceases to be uh, covered or never ceases to be open. And all over the field, Jalen Waddle, best celebration in the league, finding space. They, their new weapon, Jeff Wilson Jr., they got at the trade deadline from San Francisco, got on the score sheet. Uh, and, and Tua Tagovailoa looks to become more comfortable every week. This was the one week, especially me watching him, where I was like, he's not afraid anymore. He, the game is at a good speed for him now. He's not making poor reads like you saw in his first two seasons where he looked a little bit lost or they were running less complex offenses for him. He seems to understand things a lot more. He's using his legs a little bit more, and he's looking like a more complete quarterback. Did the concussion stuff blow over? Like, of course it did. It's the NFL, right? But it it looked. Re- I can't remember if that was week four, or week five, but yeah. I, I thought he that was the, season ending. He had three weeks off, or four weeks, three or four weeks, and he's back and he looks fine. But it's yeah, it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Probably it's something we'll hear about in 40 years more than in the next five. Eh? Exactly. Exactly. On the other side, Justin Fields uh, talked about his growth so far this season for the Chicago Bears. And this one is one of his better games as well. A 61 yard rushing touchdown that he created oh. out of nothing, uh, scampered all over the field and, and found the end zone. And it's uh, this Bears offense is starting to be crafted around him, very Baltimore-esque with Lamar, where they're starting to design plays to his strengths rather than trying to fit him in another scheme. Uh, and it's been really, really successful. And he looked really good again today. And Chicago Bears fans, this whole season is gravy now that you've sold your two top defensive players at the trade deadline. You're just looking to see what you get out of fields. And I imagine this might be the best quarterback they've ever had so you got to be really really excited about the future there sticking in the nfc north the detroit lions beat the green bay packers what the packers have lost five straight they are three and six and they scored nine points against the war strength defense in the league just brutal stuff end of an era looks like it aaron Rodgers threw three interceptions he threw four all of last year he never throws interceptions against any team, especially not teams in the NFC North. Throws three, looks really angry the whole time, <laughs> almost as if this game was a statement saying, why did we not get any help at the trade deadline at the wide receiver position? And the Packers, yeah, very much so an end of an era. If they fall out of the playoff race here, I wonder if they bench him. To start moving on to Jordan Love and then look to to ship him off in the offseason because I think things are going to be dire there if this continues. So it's more the Packers roster than Rogers' individual ability. He's looked okay, but it looks like the the roster not being what he wants it to is taking a toll on him as well. He's expecting more out of players in certain positions. He just doesn't have Devontae Adams. And so He's trying to force things or he's expecting guys to do one thing and putting in a spot where that's not what they're normally used to doing. There's just 
not communication and his throws haven't been 100%. I think he's a little bit older. He's getting hit a little bit more uh, and, and it's, it's tilting him. And we saw it in full force today. That's a, that's a big win for the Lions to get because they haven't gotten one against Packers in a while. Well, however he blows up, he can't become the worst known quarterback out of Green Bay. <laughs> yeah. We didn't touch on that, eh? No, no. We'll, we'll keep moving. <laughs> uh, finally, in the NFC North, the Vikings keep rolling. I was showing Max the video of Kirk Thuggins iced out on the, uh, on the plane with his teammates celebrating Vikings 7 and 1. And, and, and as long as their games continue to be at 1 p.m., they will be the best team in the league. Can't put Kirk Cousins in primetime, but you can put him at 1 o'clock and he'll ball out. <laughs> Vikings win there, continuing to move on. Cincinnati. The offensive explosion. It, we thought they were back, and then they lost a stunner last week to the Browns, uh, who just they basically got out physical in that game. And then this one, they turned around and, and took all of their anger and frustration out on the poor Carolina Panthers, and none more so than my fantasy MVP for this week, Joe Mixon. Five touchdowns, four on the ground, one through the air, uh, 55 fantasy points, and was just everywhere. Uh, Joe Burrow scrambling, trying to find a receiver, chucked it to the back of the end zone, happened to be to Mixon, who had come out of the backfield and was right there, just all over the place. An awesome game for him, and the Bengals throttled uh, the Panthers and, and get a big win there to rewrite the ship, and and now I believe they are uh, back to 4-4 uh, and four on the season. All right, uh, two quick notes from me. One, play of the week, that absurd coffin corner pun in which game was it i just the, uh, georgia tennessee game i've only read that in a manga i don't think i've even seen anything that ridiculous out of a video game before uh, that was legendary or maybe it happens more often than i know it was i mean the pun the itself going line. out is very rare yes it's normally that you'll have a defender down it or make sure they get there before it goes yeah, into the end zone having uh, it drop and roll out of the sideline on the one yard line. very uncommon very effective and a great tone setter for a georgia team that is at home against the number one team in the country tennessee after beating alabama and they win in convincing fashion and georgia is far and away i think the best team in college football watching that game yesterday because alabama drops a stunner in overtime to LSU. So they have two losses on the year and might not make it into the college football playoff. So Georgia, really, that's the only team that can, I think, keep toe-to-toe with them. So they may breeze to a back-to-back national championship. All right. Raven Saints tomorrow. Who you got? Raven Saints tomorrow. I have the Baltimore Ravens. I think yeah. the extra prep time and their run game uh, is just advanced every week and i gotta go with my guy lamar because i need him to have a big fantasy performance tomorrow night a little side note here before i move on from football geno smith now quarterbacking the six and three seattle seahawks who people had bet on to maybe have the worst record in the league a little mvp talk here for geno smith right josh allen losing today obviously we'll watch mahomes tonight uh lamar's in that conversation as well but geno smith on the outside looking in, dark horse, you might want to sprinkle a little, little money on uh, because Seattle just keeps on rolling and looks really good. I'm afraid. I, I Watching the TSN, the Sportsnet broadcasts, all of the gambling ads are for Ontario. I thought it wasn't legal in Quebec. And uh, one of my classmates showed me last week how to do it here. So oh, God. 
no, you're, these things you're saying might have some damage. Uh, play safe, play responsibly, folks. Exactly. Congratulations, Tom Brady, for not retiring and having his life blow up, but he got, he's the first quarterback to get to 100,000 passing yards as the go. Buccaneers beat the, uh, the Rams in a crappy afternoon game. Who needs a supermodel wife? I don't know, but ask Justin Verlander. You see that clip last night? No. Kate Upton just being like, he could play forever. I love watching him pitch. It's such uh, an art, such a craft. <laughs> yeah. Big, um, big winner. Justin W. Justin Verlander uh, with the World Series win and, uh, and the support of his family. Haven't heard that one in name in a while. All right. I think we can move on to tennis now. We had the last Masters 1000 event of the year wrapping up on the ATP Tour this weekend in the semifinals where we saw Holger Rune taking on Felix Auger-Aliassime and Novak Djokovic taking on Stefano Tsitsipas. Long story short, Holger Rune has one of the most incredible weeks uh, a 19-year-old's ever had in tennis, and I say that in a year where Carlos Alcaraz has shocked the world and became the quickest player ever to enter, hit the world number one ranking after reaching the top 10. Rune also reaching the top 10 after not even being in the top 100 at the start of this calendar year, and two double-digit winning streaks this weekend, first taking out Felix and then Djokovic. Uh, all in due time, we'll get to the finals, but first the semis. Uh, in a rematch of the Swiss indoor finals, Holger versus Oje Aliassim, uh, Rune just ran him over. It looked like Felix had run out of steam, didn't quite have the quickness, the coordination, the wherewithal to be getting behind every ball to be on it. Uh, and Holger looked like he wanted that match from last week back badly. Uh, he served it better, put 76% of his first serves in and won 86% of those points, uh, whereas Felix just put 70% of his first serves in and only won 64% of those points. Uh, it really felt like I didn't notice many of Felix's serves getting close to the 200, even 190 kilometer an hour mark, uh, which is where he had been sitting on a lot of this run. Also, 24 errors and just 14 winners. Uh, but when two guys go at it and the serve is such an important weapon for both of them, uh, that number is going to tell you a lot. So compounded with the errors, but fantastic play from Rune. Uh, he, had, he had more errors than I thought. I, I think it was something like 16 throughout the match, but more winners than that and just a really composed, straightforward, never staggered type of match from him and he advances in two sets pretty cleanly the second half was a bit more of a roller coaster in Djokovic city pass uh Djokovic played one of the best sets I've seen him play maybe other than uh that third set against Nadal in the French Open 2021 he only made one unforced error against city pass in that first set he he's beat him eight times straight now um and the backhand, a huge weapon in that. One of Tsitsipas's known weaknesses, one of Djokovic's known strengths. He does such a good job just attacking it, attacking it, attacking it, and picking his moment to go down the line with it. 
Tsitsipas does a great job with his length, size, and mobility of covering that backhand and cheating a little to be able to adjust and take it on his forehand, but Djokovic even better at seeing when Tsitsipas cheated a little too much and creating ridiculous angles out wide onto the forehand side that Stefanos can't reach because of the cheating. But however good Djokovic was in that first set, Tsitsipas raised his level, he got the crowd involved, the we want more tennis phenomenon, I think, more than we have a clear favorite here. Uh, they were pretty neutral in the first set, pretty neutral in the third set, but in the second set, they were 100% behind Pass, and it got to Djokovic as it has throughout his career. I think it's fair to say uh, the errors, not awful numbers, but just coming off of that first set, not great. And in a rally, where Tsitsipas had got the crowd behind him, built up to a break point, Djokovic goes long. He had a couple other errors in that game that just weren't quite like him. Credit to Tsitsipas, though, so for making those rallies happen, making it tough on him, getting good returns in. Third set, uh, both players kind of lock in on their serve. Not a whole lot of, I don't think, a single break point chance for either player. Um, we go all the way to the shootout. And the mini break goes to Sissipas. He had a fantastic defensive lob. Uh, I think Djokovic drilled a serve, or Sissipas barely got it in. Djokovic drills another one. He has a, he paints the baseline, just a complete reset of the point. Djokovic not able to do a lot with it. He takes advantage, sends him one way, sends him the other way, puts it in the open court for the point, gets the mini break. So it's over, right? He's been playing so fantastically. He hasn't uh, had a break point on his serve since the first set. Very next point, Djokovic just attacks the forehand down the line after a great serve return, commanding the rally, gets it right back. And then I think this next point was the rally of the week for me. I, I, I tried to find a clip and I couldn't. Oh, and it was ridiculous. Pass was painting both wide lines uh, over and over attacking but Djokovic was defending so well that someone who wasn't too familiar with tennis wouldn't understand how hard and how well Stefanos was hitting the ball and it was 20 plus shots and Djokovic just continued to defend waited for his moment opened up the court was able to attack at Tsitsipas on the back foot and have him running all over to the point where he couldn't finish the volley at the net and Djokovic gets the break. I, I think I missed a point somewhere in there. Uh, anyway, the two break, the two points in a row get Djokovic enough separation, takes it out. Uh, that shootout was a thriller, roller coaster of a match. And the finals in kind of similar form. Uh, the first set, Djokovic uh, holds his serve pretty well, other than the first game. Um, he had a beautiful kind of tap lob when uh, Rune put a drop shot in, just straight floater over him, uh, and gets another really nice backhand down the line, and then uh, two double faults from Rune. He served really well throughout this match, but when the moments got big, it was usually the double faults getting him before he could even get into the break points to defend, at least early in the match. Uh, so Djokovic takes the first set off of that break. In the first game of the second set, Rune serving, and he just puts error after error and, and finds himself down love 40, like a minute 
into the first game. Djokovic has the first set. He's one point away from the break. The rally comes. Djokovic sets up a forehand down the line after getting uh, Rune stuck on the cross side. The shot he makes in his sleep. Nine times out of ten. Match is over, right? Nope, he goes long. Uh, second serve from Rune on the next point. Djokovic hits the net. He blows two shots he makes in his sleep after playing a fantastic first set with just three unforced errors. <laughs> and that was enough for Rune to get himself back into the match. Uh, he plays the next point really well. The deuce goes back and forth. Uh, I don't think Djokovic doesn't get any more break chances, but he makes Rune really work for it. And he is hands on knees shaking staggering wobbling as he walks he looks like he's had all the wind taken out of him by the time he finally gets the hold over uh and but Djokovic was the one more affected by that game he has three errors and a double fault Rune didn't have to do anything other than just put the ball in play and he gets the break after finding himself down love 40 at the start of the second set and then credit, more credit to Rune. He doesn't have to defend another break point. Uh, Djokovic gets close a couple times. A deuce, he gets himself to 40 or 30-40 situations. But every time Rune holds tight, uh, his serve's pretty consistent in the defense. His backhand, stellar. Uh, more on that later. But doesn't have to find himself in any 2-10 situations. Into the third set, uh, some quick holds to start out. Then in the fourth game, Rune finds himself again down love 40, defends the first point, but tries to go too big on the second serve, attempts 206 kilometers an hour, and uh, it doesn't go in. So that's two double faults where he was up against break points. And Djokovic ahead. Really seems like that was it, but uh, Rune gets it right back. It starts with a gift from the gods of the tape of the tennis net. Uh, it actually wasn't even the tape. Rune hit the net below the tape and just had so much power on it that it bounced over. So some bad luck there. Very next point, they go into a backhand slice exchange, and Rune's backhand was just so good all match and like. Djokovic has one of the best on tour, and Rune outclassed him in the winner's numbers, in the error's numbers, and uh, that played a key part, really, in the third set. Slice error comes after, like, three or four going back and forth, and we go to deuce, uh, where the worst play of the match from Djokovic comes. Uh, he plays a great rally, uh, sends Rune out wide onto the deuce court side, has the volley at the net, and, you know, you're facing the player ready to take it on, but you've got to redirect it to the ad side when they're on the deuce side. And he sends it right back to Rune, who is almost in disbelief at the point being gifted to him after Djokovic had taken it. He handles that one well. And then uh, the next point, with the chance to break, Rune is patient, a player who really identifies himself and his brand of tennis on aggression. Did a fantastic job of not overreaching, defending well, keeping the ball in play with pace, with pressure, but not reaching for too much. And he gets the error out of Djokovic and gets the break right back. Uh, so we go back and forth on the serves. Uh, a chance for Djokovic at 5-4 uh, for the match, but Rune able to defend, hold the serve. And then 5-5, five, five. Uh, Rune does a lob on a 
man, those drop shots and those risky moments just are such a roll the dice, high risk, high reward. I'm kind of shocked Djokovic went for it, but he did, and Rune was able to make the most out of it and keep up that patient defensive style of tennis and get more errors out of Djokovic to get the break. He's one game away from serving out the match, and... I wrote down almost every point in this 18-minute game. I'm not going to force anyone to listen to it because I can't make sense of... I was incoherent midway through it. 18 minutes. Djokovic earned seven breakpoint chances, and Rune fought them all off. Um, he had a serve and volley on a second serve where his second serve was 196 kilometers an hour, I think. So he did not shy away from going for those big second serves, and it paid off for him. He, a couple slow ones in there, but almost all of them were over 180. The, the kid was fearless and making them. Uh, his first championship point is actually where that second serve bites him. He double faults it, going for a big one, and then has to go defend. Uh, after that double fall, Djokovic earns another break point, but Rune defends it again. After that, is able to earn the championship, serving it out this time. 18-minute game, seven break point opportunities for Djokovic, and Rune held on. I should mention that there was something going on with Novak's leg. You couldn't tell really from his movement as much as him constantly stretching it and consulting physio. Um, that was a factor, though, probably. Um, but all the credit in the world to Holger Rune. He is now going to be top 10 in the tour. He is the second alternate uh, for Nito ATP after uh, playing in Turin. Wait, no, I think that's the same one. Turin happens in the Nito ATP finals. He'll be playing the next gen this coming week, and then he'll be really the first alternate because, unfortunately, Carlos Alcaraz has announced that he is going to be out of that event with an abdomen strain that he occurred in his match against Rune. Uh, so that's a real shame. We'll give a preview of that next week before the event. Ridiculous, fantastic stuff from Rune, the first player to ever take out five top 10 opponents in a single one-week event on the ATP Tour. Uh, a ridiculous list of heads, Rublev, Hercats, not Tsitsipas, Alcaraz, Djokovic, and Felix. Felix and Djokovic both on double-digit win streaks, as we said. The last thing I'll say is I really, really, really hope to see Holger Rune play Rafael Nadal next year at the French. Rune, a player who has had a lot of success on clay, he made it to the quarters at the French last year. His first ATP title came on clay in Munich. He won Roland Garros as a junior, and he might have the best backhand on tour. So a player who loves to play on clay, who's a righty and has a fantastic backhand. This is the matchup I'm hoping for, and the way they both play, there's a pretty good chance we'll get it. All right, Owens, you've been wincing, emoting. What's going on as we move on to basketball? So I did want to talk about a little bit about the Raptors and Mavericks game where the Raptors just got nothing from their bench, and then Luka takes over late 35-8-6 in the game. Big story out of that one for the Raptors is Pascal Siakam, as Scotty just dunked all over someone. Pascal Siakam hurting his groin out two plus weeks. I think it'll be three or four. Oh, another steal. OG Ananobi. 
Iceness. Yeah. Ooh, the double clutch reverse. I like it. Uh, yeah, Raptors up nine with Drake in attendance against the Chicago Bulls. This game really highlights what this team is going to need to be without Siakam for the next couple of weeks. Fred VanVleet, the leading scorer tonight, providing a ton of offense uh, from behind the arc and penetrating and finding open guys. And while his at-rim fin- finishing is never going to be excellent, uh, he did enough tonight to just show some fans who have started to call for his head uh, in terms of not fitting into this culture and length of the team. He, games like tonight where he can match up against someone like Caruso or Desunmu and and provide that steady offense on the other side of the floor. Uh, just really, really great stuff from Fred. I think he's got 25 and 10 in this one. Massive performance. And the Raptors really, the length comes through in the end. They turn it on. Coloco has five blocks in this game. He's been awesome. And they've been contesting everything at the rim. Couple of missed threes helping them out and getting out in transition and just being energizer bunnies all over the board. Boucher, Thaddeus Young, Coloco, OG, uh, all those guys getting involved. Scotty Barnes on the offensive glass and creating second chances. And that's how this team wins every night is they just outwork the competition. Uh, and and they're very close to getting a well-deserved win here against the Chicago team that's had a decent start to the season. You're going to need to see more from the bench as we go along because it's unsustainable to play. I'm sure Fred played 48 minutes in this game. I'll see the box score later. Um, and Scotty as well. And we just we can't have that running down the team because that's... I mean, Pascal looked like a freak accident slipping on the floor in that one, but... You put yourself at risk the longer you're out on the floor, the more fatigue you're getting playing 38 minutes a night. Him being out is massive. This team has the players to to produce some solid results and stay in it uh, with their defense, but it's uh, yeah, it's a big loss, and they're going to need more hustle performances like tonight. 11 assists from Fred. That's where we really needed the playmaking with no Siakam. Uh, 38 minutes, it's looking like as well. Uh, and that injury something that Siakam's had before, which, as I understand, is a big risk factor for it. Uh, I briefly have to give my um, normal, I hate the referees in basketball from the Friday night game against the Mavericks. Uh, it felt like they just decided to give the Mavericks the third quarter and the Raptors the fourth quarter uh, by flipping a coin. Uh, some really brutal, hard to understand calls there. I feel like every game I watch, I have less of an idea what a foul is. Um, also didn't love the second half. And uh, I played Nurse coming onto the court to get a technical. And then the refs go, huh, maybe he has a point. Maybe we are skewing this game a little. Uh, but the start of the third and the start of the fourth, brutal to each team respectively. Didn't love what I saw in defense from OG tonight, at least in the first half. I feel like he let those steal numbers he was putting up get a little to him, and he was rushing the plays way too much. What happened? OG and Anobi flying from the top rope for a putback slam to Maybe. ice this one. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, the double teams on DeRozan looked beautiful in that second half. Uh, when it's not Luka Doncic, they just work so much better. It seems uh, I, I, it felt like a losing strategy a lot of the time, um, but maybe you play the analytics and the playmaking from Scotty in that fourth quarter was beautiful. Uh, if that had been present longer and we had hit like two 
three of our open threes in that first quarter of the Mavs game, maybe would have been a different looking game. It's a pretty good strength of schedule or a schedule ahead of us to lose our best player games against the Pacers, uh, the Pistons, I think another one against the Hawks. We face the Bulls again, the Nets, I think the best team we face in the next seven, eight and the way they've looked all season. I'd like that. I guess it's actually the heat, the best team we face up next. So uh, they, they, I think they can weather this if, they have an opportunity with a fairly weak strength of schedule after I think a league leading hardest strength of schedule through their first seven or eight. So all is not lost for the Raptors uh, as long as the rehab goes well and Siakam is back within a month. I think this team still has a lot of hope, which I was seeing some people say like time to get on the Wemby wagon. Yeah, no. You, the one thing you're going to get from this Raptors team is consistent effort night to night, and that's what wins games in the regular season. Something that cannot be said for the other Toronto franchise, the Maple Leafs, <laughs> losing to the quad effect of the worst teams in the NHL, Montreal, uh, Anaheim, San Jose, and uh, remind me, I'm missing the last one here. Anaheim, or you said that. Anaheim, San Jose, the Kings, who else they lose to on that stretch? Just everyone. Uh, the Golden Knights, but they're in Arizona, no. the Coyotes. Yes, the Coyotes. Yes, embarrassing stuff for the Leafs. And then, of course, naturally, when we start trashing them, they get on here. They beat Philly. Then they beat Boston. <laughs> then they beat Carolina back-to-back after beating the number one team in the league. And now three-game win streak. Vibes are high. We don't have any goaltenders anymore, but somehow Shelgren goes out and gives them a one-goal uh, performance against uh, one of the top teams in the league. And just like that, they're back in the thick of things. I don't want to give them still much time, uh, and we can't afford much time here as our Zoom's about to cut off, but I do want to shout out the line of Zach Aston Reese, David Kampf, and Dennis Malgin. Um, that has been the best line for them over these last stretch of games, even though the productions come from the core four. They've been awesome. Shout out to Vladdy Guerrero Jr. for a gold glove and the Houston Astros Boo Tomato win the World Series over the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, and we already touched on Justin Berlander. So that's going to be it for this one. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Sports Next Door. Um, I think I plugged The Color Decay by Devil Wears Prada, but I'll plug it again. It's fantastic. Sports Next Door, signing out.